G'day there and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon focuses on Romans 8, chapter 26 to 39, and is the last installment of our Gospel Identity sermon series. And the reading is this, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And may the words of my lips and the thoughts of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it's been six weeks since I last got to preach at St. John's, and Romans 8 is my favourite chapter in the whole Bible, so it's an absolute joy to look at this passage with you today. Romans 8 is my go-to passage when speaking to people going through tough times, because it's filled with hope. In our Gospel Identity series, we've seen how chapters 5 to 8 of Romans all lay down what the Gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, tell us about who we are. Followers of Jesus are justified before God, alive in Christ, servants of righteousness, agents of God's Spirit and co-heirs with Christ. As we saw from Reverend Zoe's sermon last week, Romans 8 addresses how we are to live in the now and not yet of God's kingdom. We enjoy peace from our status as God's people in the now, but our hopes rest not on this world, but on the future, when the fullness of God, when the fullness of who we are in Christ will be realized. Today, writing to people who had very little going for them, 
Paul writes, you are more than conquerors through Christ. How can you say something like this? Well, today we're going to find out. When we can't, God can. Look with me at verse 26, where Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Life was bad for Christians in Rome. Many of them were poor, slaves or ex-slaves, who lived in a city where sickness, violence and abuse were part of everyday life. Christians specifically were looked down on and often persecuted for being part of a movement that was seen as a weird cult and probably didn't feel like conquerors in life. Still, some Christians kept meeting and worshipping and praying. And they would pray the types of prayers you pray when life is so bad you don't know what to pray. Perhaps you've prayed these types of prayers yourself. The ones where your loved one is so sick you don't know whether to pray that God would heal them or release them from their suffering. The prayer where your finances are in such a mess that you don't know whether to pray that God would fix them or help you file for bankruptcy. The prayer where your relationship with someone is so toxic you don't know whether to stay or go. Instead you just cry out and groan to God. And this is where Paul reminds us that when we can't, God can. Look at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's here that Paul reminds us of who Christians truly are. We are the ones God has called. We have said in our lives, we're for God. And Paul reminds us that God is for us. It may not seem this way, having to pray groaning prayers all this time might lead us to think that we're on the wrong side of God rather than on the right. But that's not true. Here we see that God has a purpose for our lives. When we can't, God can. What this tells us about our trials and hardships is that even in the moments when our lives seem pointless and we can't see anything good about them, God can. The same God who made us can see the value in us and will use our lives and our stories in the wonderful tapestry of his love and grace. What this means, friends, is that if you're not a Christian yet, then God is calling you. If you avoid God, you're running further and further from his good plans and towards your own demise. I urge you to reconsider your answer to God because God is calling you today. God wants to partner with you in life and work for your good. And he won't do that if you don't want anything to do with him. God is calling you to be a part of his glorious redemption plan. And you can respond to God today. If you are a Christian, then feel the encouragement of these words. God is working all things for your good. This doesn't mean that everything in your life is good, but it does mean that things will turn out good. Remember the story of Joseph. He was sold by his brothers into slavery, then thrown into prison on false charges and betrayed by someone he helped, but he never gave up on God. At last, things changed for Joseph and he rose to become the Prime Minister of Egypt. At the end of his story, when his brothers came to him to beg for mercy, 
Joseph says, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Joseph learned to trust that God was still in control, even when his life was going from bad to worse. As St. Augustine of Hippo says, God is so good as to permit no evil to exist, except that God is so powerful as to be able to draw something good from any evil. God is working out his good purposes, whether we understand what he's doing or not. When we can't, God can. And when we embrace our identity in Christ, we can know that rain, hail or shine, God's doing something good in us. If God is for us, who can be against us? The reality that God is working out his redemptive purposes shows us that in any trial we have the best ally we could ever wish for. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul's not denying here that things can come against us in life, but he's saying that if God is for us, then it doesn't matter what the world throws at us. God's bigger. Our planet is big. But did you know that 1,300,000 Earths can fit inside the sun and there are stars 7,000 times bigger than our sun? Here Paul's saying that if the God who made you, the Earth, the sun and the universe so big it's unfathomable is on your side, then whatever comes against you should be an afterthought in comparison. Teresa of Avila whose mother died when she was only 11, wrote this. In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Look back at Romans. Looking back at Romans, we read, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Here Paul is using an argument from lesser to greater. Imagine you're buying an expensive Christmas gift for someone you love dearly. You find just the right gift, pay big bucks for it, and then get ready to leave the shop and give it to your friend. Then the cashier tells you that for 20 cents they can wrap it nicely for you. Would you say, no, that's too much. I don't love them that much. Of course you wouldn't. Here Paul's saying that if God didn't spare his only son for you, won't he give you the wrapping as well as the gift? If God's prepared to give his only son, if Jesus is prepared to die for you, won't he also sustain you through your present hardships and bring you out the other side? Paul then goes on to ask three questions, which he answers in rapid succession. They all relate to the now and not yet of our lives. This tension of the fact that yes, we are sinful people in a broken world full of hardship, but at the same time, we're God's chosen people, living by the Spirit of the One who made everything, and who will make everything right again. In verse 33, Paul says in the first question, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And his answer is, it is God who justifies. Question two, who then is the one who condemns? Answer, no one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Verse 35, and the final question, 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness is sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're at the climax of this part in Romans, where Paul is driving home his point and he shows us that however big our problems may be, they pale in comparison to the bigness of God's love. It doesn't matter who the bully in the playground is if you've got Mike Tyson in your corner. The Roman Christians were used to all sorts of attacks on their identity. They faced all sorts of accusations, judgments, hardships and dangers. Paul understands these because he's been through them too. But this letter tells us that if we're chosen, if we've chosen to follow Jesus and make who we are in Christ the most important thing about us, we're justified, we're uncondemnable, and we are more than conquerors through Christ. And it's on this final point that I want to land. The final aspect of our God, gospel identity is that we are more than conquerors through Christ. A conqueror, in Roman terms, was a victorious general who had just overcome their enemy. The conqueror would live in complete security because their enemy had been defeated and they would enjoy a time of peace until the enemy came along. Here Romans tells us that we are not just conquerors, but hyper-conquerors, or more than conquerors. Not through what we've done, but through Jesus Christ. Friends, if Jesus is your general, your master and commander, then you are entitled to the peace, joy, and heavenly hope he won for you on the cross. Yes, hardships of life may cause you to doubt God's goodness, but as Corrie ten Boom, who helped Jews flee from Nazis in World War II, said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the driver. Jesus is more than your ticket into heaven. He's the general who leads us onto glory. Friends, we need Jesus more than we could ever imagine. And when we trust in him, we discover that the layers of blessings that he lavishes on us are endless. Paul finishes this chapter by stating his conviction that whatever life has to throw at us, it's powerless to separate us from the God who is love. Romans 8, 38-39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here again, Paul lists the hardship the Roman Christians would come up against, and how they pale in the face of God's boundless love. No fate, no spiritual force, no temporal reality, power or distance can separate us from the love of the one who makes us hyper-conquerors. We have absolute security in God and nothing can snatch this away from us. What about budget deficits? No. What about cancer? No. What about drought? No. What about COVID-19? No. Friend, you are someone for whom Christ has died, and there is no higher status you can possibly have. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that life is unpredictable, and what we took for granted last year hasn't helped up. God's love, however, is unchanging, overwhelming, and relentless. 
There's nothing better than to be an object of God's love and affection. And that is what you are. Don't take this for granted. Take it to heart. As we finish our series on gospel identity, my hope and prayer for you is that you might find a new appreciation of who you are in Christ. Or if you've never accepted Christ, that you might do so today. There is no status in this world that is greater than the one God has given you. And there is no power more potent or reliable than God's love. Knowing who you are in Christ is the best news ever. And it's the key to understanding the purpose of life. May we as a church embrace the fullness of our gospel identity. And may it sustain us in this life and on to the next. Amen.